welcome to Data Learners, where we learn about data science. I'm Sami, your data learner. And I'm Tori, your in-house data scientist. Sami, what's going on? Uh, it's been a long weekend. Uh, went to a baby shower, very exciting. And I did some work on my project with the Oakland parking tickets. Ah, very good. How did that go? It's frustrating. I think I mentioned earlier that it's like an onion. You peel back a layer and you start crying. And then you peel back another layer and you start crying more and more and more. And now I'm just bawling. So I was looking at the information I had about neighborhoods and incomes and realized that the list I had was only 50 of the 138 um, neighborhoods. The website that I had found the data from um, just wanted to use the most populous 50 neighborhoods. And so I was thinking, how would that affect my data? And I think I thought correctly in that it would just ruin a lot of how much I could trust whatever correlation thing that I did. So I thought to myself, well, where do they get their information from? And lo and behold, at the very bottom of the page, it said information from the U.S. Census Bureau, and they also use open source maps, which we talked about last time. And so I started to peruse around the Census Bureau page today and this last weekend. And there's a lot, I think, to learn about the information that they provide, how to access that information, so I spent most of my time trying to figure out how I could come up with a granular enough data set from the Census Bureau information and still be able to kind of correlate neighborhoods and addresses. Um, so that that's still a challenge is to have good, maybe not neighborhoods or, or like granular enough sections of the map that it's helpful in terms of giving an idea of what it's like in Oakland. Yeah. So tell me about that, because I've always thought the Census Bureau would provide a great source of data. Um, what are some of the challenges with being granular, granular enough? Um, and like, what data are you finding? So one of the first things was figuring out what all the different geographic what's it called, like subsections of the map and how they split it up and figure out which one would be most useful. So if it was by place, like that covers like the city of Oakland, which is not granular enough, yeah. right? Uh, if you're doing it by like zip code, there's like maybe four or five zip codes in Oakland, different zip codes, which doesn't help too much for me. And so what I found was that I could either use uh, Census Bureau tracks or blocks those are two different things and the tracks are like they, the definition was like a statistical boundary in Oakland I'm not sure what they mean by statistical at that point and these are permanent boundaries that they use um, the population of these tracks is anywhere from I think 1500 to 4,000 people and so my thought was well if I have the income information for those tracks, it's actually more granular than neighborhoods would be. Uh, so, and, and there's better data because it's coming directly from the Census Bureau, which I think is better to use, what would you call it, like a first-hand source? Yeah, definitely. 
as opposed to getting it through some website that might have done some interesting mathematics with it and changed it in some ways. Um, and then from there, I have to figure out how do I geocode the Census Bureau tracks. Now, I still have to explore the Census Bureau tracks to see if maybe they just give me that information. I think before we were talking about how they might map the boundaries of that in some ways by giving like two corners of a box if we assume that all the Census Bureau tracks are boxed, or at least that's a good approximation of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I would prefer if they just gave me um, a coordinate point that was close to center <laughs> uh, because that'd be easier for me to program something around. Yeah. So by geocode, you mean um, like the ability to associate that track with the, with the latitude and longitude? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because then I can make that connection between the addresses that tickets were given in. Yeah. I am really interested in how they define the tracks because... I kind of piqued my interest that you said it's a statistical boundary mm -hmm. because it would be a little bit conflating if they somehow, one of the ways that they decided where the boundary of a tract was, was already mm -hmm. a variable that you're interested in investigating, like income. Right. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't know if that's it, though, because it said on there that they were, like, permanent. Yeah. Meaning that it doesn't change very much. And obviously in Oakland, there's been a huge amount of income change in different neighborhoods, some going up, some going down, based on just gentrification and people moving in and moving out. Okay, that sounds promising. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from. It definitely sounds a little frustrating. You thought you were finally getting to the point where you're almost ready to dig into some of the statistics. And you have to go back to what I would call stage one of any data science project, which is data exploration. And I picture these in stages, which is like chunks of the project that I break down to help kind of mm -hmm. organize my work. And you kind of have to pass the gate before you can go to the next stage. So in that I am learning, Yeah. I think I thought that I had passed the gate. Yeah. And then I got to the next portion. I was like, oh. Yeah, I need I need to go back, or just realize where I am and revisit kind of what is a good data set because I hadn't done much data cleaning before. I didn't quite realize what I was looking at. I was like, oh, I found a website. I'll scrape it all off, and it's, oh, it's so easy. And no, it's not. So this problem has gotten more complicated than I expected it to be. We are almost. Is this our tenth podcast? This is our tenth podcast. Oh my gosh! Happy and I'm not anniversary. Even, I'm not even halfway through this this project. It feels like <laughs> stage one. So I have to go back and refigure that stuff out. Don't feel bad. Data science is very iterative, so it's very common to be working on a problem and you uncover something in the data, and mm -hmm. you have to go back a step and work through the same stage again. Yeah. What I will say though is everything that I've so far figured out how to do, I feel like I could do it like that, you know, like yes. so quickly because like once you figure out how to make a pandas data frame, it's like, I don't have to look at the documentation anymore. I can just copy it from my old program Yeah. or, you know, write it up really quickly. Um, and so it's, it's something that's, I, I realize that this will make it easier for me in the future if I want to like look at different census bureau information, if I go through and figure out how to use the data sets that they provide on there. Like that might mean that I can do different projects that I find interesting or fun or valuable with Definitely. more ease. So part of what I think I'm doing right now is just laying a lot of foundation that I did not have before. Yes, this census stuff could be the data set that keeps on giving. So I would ask you next, like what are some of the 
research questions, I guess, that you're going to explore when you look into the data. Like basic things to Other know if you... Stuff? No, just to know if you have the right data for your problem. So we don't do this Well, okay, again. so there's like terms like mean, median, mode. Mm -hmm. Like what do I want from that? I probably want to go with median. Median what? Income. Okay. Protract. Per, protract. Very right. cool. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what we're looking at is I want to correlate income to parking tickets mm -hmm. based on addresses. Now, I realize that, you know, someone from a different neighborhood might be moving to or driving their car somewhere and parking their car. Yeah. Um, so I'll have to definitely watch out for when you have more like shops and such, you know, like in downtown Oakland. I don't know if I want to include that because there's probably a ton of parking tickets that are just people like who don't live there. They're driving into the area, parking and then moving elsewhere. Yeah, that's a good kind of edge case that we could walk through if you want. Like, how are you going to deal with residential versus commercial? Does the data kind of deal with it in and of itself? Because if it's a commercial district, it won't have a median income. Or are you going to have to incorporate a third data set to figure out what is commercial and what's residential zoned areas? So I think that I can figure out from the open parking ticket data what kind of ticket it is versus like if it's street sweeping or if it's like a meter. Ah, okay. So if it's street sweeping, looking into street sweeping, it's probably residential or yeah. someone who lives there. Yeah, I see what you mean. Versus if someone didn't pay their meter, it's probably someone who doesn't live there. Ooh, that's a very good finding. Yeah, and your tar your ticket data has like the reason there. Well, it has the price of the tickets. Okay. And I believe it has the reason as well. As someone who has gotten many open parking tickets, I can tell that. you that it does usually say something like that. Yeah. What I'm curious is, is that a standard value that is basically programmatic? like, Or is it the parking officer actually typing in a reason? Because that would be messy. I think they type in reasons because they have. there's disputes that you can have mm. for tickets. Like, for instance, one time I got a ticket that said I was parked outside of the parking lines that weren't actually clearly demarked. Yeah. On the street. And it said the reason on the ticket that I got. So I, I'm be I believe that the data I have mm. gives me the reason as well. Ooh, okay. And I think that I could probably figure out what the reason was through a lot of different means and having to use like like so for instance, if there are a surge in tickets on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, at, or Tuesdays and Thursdays, because they do street sweeping twice a week at a specific time. Mm -hmm. That's something where I can get from the data that this is street sweeping. But that could also be like a lunch rush. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's so much that could go into deciding what counts mm -hmm. as a surge or not. I think that the, the reason for the ticket is on there. Okay. On the data. Okay. Yeah. So you have two or three problems that you want to solve next. Mm -hmm. First, you're going to look at the data and try to figure out the census data, does this have what I actually need in terms of the longitude and latitude data associated with and some income, boundaries yeah. and income? Yeah. Um, two is figuring out if your um, ticket data has the reason for the ticket or something that you can use. Because that'll give me an idea about if I'm dealing with residential tickets versus yeah, not. Some prox I guess a proxy is what we're looking at there. And potentially the third thing that you wanted to do was then figure out, obviously, how to join those two data sets. But maybe we don't have to overload you with that right now if you don't want to. Well, I don't think I could do that yeah. in a week. 
No, definitely But I not. think joining the data sets would not be terrible. That's either going to be me using boundaries yeah. um, of those Census Bureau tracks. And that's an easy, like, does it rest between these two geographic uh, latitude-longitude coordinates Yeah. Um, in the X and the Y direction? And then the other one is, you know, if, if I don't have the geographical uh, the coordinates of the southeast and uh, northwest corners of a data track because mm-hmm. you can make a square out of that mm-hmm. uh, what I could just use you know if there is a latitude longitude of the center or somewhere inside of that census bureau track I can do a nearest um, census bureau track yeah but then I have to do a adjacent neighborhoods test to see if they're more similar to being adjacent neighborhoods and that's a whole another problem that I yeah. don't want to talk about right now. No, I'm hoping that every address will fall neatly within a census tract so you can get through with the first part of the data. Yeah, this is getting to be a little frustrating. I just want to just want to do it. I know. That's okay. That's what you get when you work a full-time job and try to do a big project on the side. I think you're making great progress. Thanks. Okay, I read blogs and send graphs sometimes. I was looking at the differences between a data scientist and a data analyst earlier this week. I don't know if that was the best. Tell me what piqued your interest there. Well, I think we had talked about, like, how does one get to be a data scientist? Yes. And that being a data scientist is not, there's no entry-level data science position. Yeah. Right? If you want to be a data scientist, you I think it's two routes you might go through. It's one is being a data analyst for a few years. Mm-hmm. By a few years, it's like, what, three to five years? Mm. Maybe less because there's yeah, it depends. more need right now. Depends how you can leverage it, who you're working with, how much move, movement there is in the company. Um, if you can get the title, basically. <laughs> yeah. And answer yeah. the technical questions on interviews. The other thing is you could be a data engineer, which is closer to being like a developer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, what's, let me just Google search this because what do I do with all questions in life? I asked Google um, and then they charged me $700, <laughs> which they've kindly adjusted and refunded me money. Very kind people. Thank you, Google. Thanks, Google. So yeah, I, I found this article on, what was it? Springboard. Mm-hmm. It's a blog for, I think, a boot camp of some sort. And they have like a really funny four-way Venn diagram. Uh, the four sections being communication, statistics, programming, and business. Okay, I can see it. So it's like four oblongy oval shapes all overlapping to varying degrees. Yeah, and each different overlap is like a different role in the data scientist Venn diagram. Kind of looks like a lotus flower. I can see that, yeah. And so it's kind of funny. They put this one oval, which is communication, which is all hot air. <laughs> <laughs> and so like you see like the statistics, you have the data nerd. And then when that crosses over to communication, you have the data stats professor. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, stats professors out there. So I was looking at it and, you know, the perfect data science is someone who has all those skills. They can communicate. They have the statistics knowledge, they can program, they're pretty good at it, and they're pretty savvy when it comes to business decisions and like what's reasonable. Is that true? 
Yeah, I definitely agree with this. So I think the point you're trying to make or the post is trying to make is your original point, which is like the reason why there's no entry level data scientist is because you have to have already some experience or expertise in these other areas. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of look at this weird oblong lotus shaped Venn diagram as kind of like a path to how you might want to get to whatever place mm. you want to be, right? That's true. If you're starting off with a statistics background, all right, so let's learn some programming next, right? We can probably ignore the communication stuff, just be a normal person. Uh, <laughs> and then once you've got your programming stuff, you probably want to learn some business stuff to work your way towards being a data scientist. And yes, being able to communicate your ideas effectively and make charts and diagrams is going to be important. So yes, we do need to learn some communication stuff. Um, or if you're starting a business, right? Okay, move your way towards programming, move your way towards learning statistics, right? Yeah, I think that could work. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you start off in some business role, and then when, once you learn statistics according to this diagram, you become the number cruncher. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you move over a little bit and also learn communication, or is that statistics? Let me see. A little bit of both. Now you're an analyst. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got programming, maybe some business stuff and statistics, you're an analyst. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, there are not just data science. Data science is like this kind of like, not epicenter. <laughs> Sounds like a disease. We'll say... Nexus? Yeah, nexus. That's the right word. Of all these different skills, which is interesting because there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. If you wanted to just go hard on the comp size stuff, like go for it, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to make your goal at the end of the day to be data science on your way there. Mm. Um, yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great lesson. I would actually encourage more people to be flexible in their job hunt mm -hmm. um, because the data engineer and the data analyst career paths that are adjacent to data scientists are both great, I think. Yeah, and you were mentioning some stuff about that too. As a data analyst, what did you say again? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that there's actually more, in terms of raw numbers, job openings for data engineers. Okay. Yeah. And I think the pay scale is pretty similar to data scientist. Mm -hmm. um, and potentially that field is even growing a little bit more quickly because there's new titles coming into play, like machine learning engineer, that are kind mm -hmm. of like a data scientist that's very engineering leaning or gotcha. even an engineer who's worked close to a data scientist or so you're doing all the data science work but without like looking for specific trends or outcomes like you're not asking the big question but you're making sure the big question can be answered is that what a data engineer does no i think a data engineer is more like someone who is helping to set up the data pipelines to make sure that the data is in a place that the data scientist can access it okay so you're not really manipulating data not in like the statistical way cool so, so you can kind of just leave stats out of it and learn the programming sides of it yeah i guess my question nice. there is like you know if becoming a data engineer is working on data pipelines how do you learn to be a data engineer without really having any real data pipelines to deal with. Yes. So this is always so interesting to me. Like companies just hire computer sci graduates with a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And the interview questions that are asked are very kind of like these esoteric academic uh, mm -hmm. questions about like, how would you code this algorithm from scratch to mm -hmm. sort this list? 
um, which is nothing like what you would do day to day as an engineer. So they're just testing your basic comp sci knowledge in general. Yeah. Like a bunch of random questions. Like if they get seven out of 10, they probably know their stuff. Yeah. Okay. Honestly. So hmm. in, a, in a way it's kind of encouraging because you can go to some websites like leak code or hacker rank mm -hmm. and just practice these algorithms and that's pretty much the benchmark for getting for passing an interview so uh -huh. getting an interview is another story right because mm -hmm. there's this well built up pipeline into the engineering programs at top mm -hmm. schools where companies recruit from so if you're coming in as an industry outsider it might be a little bit diff difficult you might have to put up um a side project and so kind of huh. to your point huh I wonder what this is. <laughs> <laughs> it might actually be easier to like, if you're going that route, get a front end development job mm -hmm. because to your point, like as Work a data engineer, back. you don't have access to data and large scale distributed computing systems, but mm -hmm. you can't, you do have access to web and you can make web apps using yeah. front end development kits. So yeah. And work your way yeah. back through the stack if you want. If you're very motivated to become a data engineer. Yeah. I, I feel like if you're going to start the route of becoming a developer, there are also a lot of fine paying jobs and fun jobs that you can do as a developer too. Yeah. I've also weirdly seen people move from analyst to data engineer. Weird. Yeah. So if you think about it, you're an analyst, you go yeah. to your company's database and you're writing SQL queries to pull data out and aggregate it's it in different data ways. Data engineering, right? No, that's no, still analyzing. <laughs> so you're, you're saying like, give me all the parking tickets yeah. in our database and, and the median of them. And then you notice your query hangs and it's just mm -hmm. running super slow. And you're like, why is this database so slow? Mm -hmm. So you start looking up all this stuff about databases and how to optimize them. And before you know it, you're a data engineer. That sounds like a rabbit hole. A good one. Yeah. But a rabbit hole. Yeah. I actually mm -hmm. worked with someone who went from customer support agent to analyst to engineer. Wow. So that's super cool. Yeah. I think once you get I think once you get your foot in the door at a company, you'll have data that you can mm -hmm. play around with, systems that you can play around with, and you can just prove yourself to your your team and your mm -hmm. bosses and get that next level up. Cool. All right. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of different career paths or a lot of different things. Your end goal does not have to be data scientist, even though it sounds really cool. Yeah. It's part of the hype cycle. Data engineer sounds cool too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your end doesn't data have analyst, to be yeah. data science and your beginning doesn't have to be a PhD. Yeah. So. And I think... I think at the end of the day, it's more about finding something that you can enjoy doing and that challenges you from day to day. Mm -hmm. For instance, I don't necessarily want to just communicate to people all day long, <laughs> right? Uh, that sounds kind of boring, nor do I want to be a salesperson. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that would love to be a salesperson mm -hmm. um, or head of IT where you're helping fix people's problems. That sounds like a wonderful job, but maybe not something I'd be interested in. You know, I'm much more interested in solving problems about how to look at things and perspective and that kind of stuff so it's it's a lot we'll figure it out you'll get there yeah just focus on census data <laughs> start crying because of the onions so the data onions mm -hmm. that's normal it's part of the data process data onions is that a thing uh no but that is feeling is now <laughs> um, new podcast name <laughs> data onions data onions maybe so yeah, I think for next week, I'm going to explore the Census Bureau information, see what there is, and what route I should be going towards in terms of geocoding that information. Okay. Sound like a good goal? Sounds good. Sweet. Great.
Okay. Good See you later. Good job. Oh, and then uh, follow us on Twitter. At Data Learners. Uh, or you send us an email at... DataLearnersPod at gmail.com. For feedback. We would love it. And okay. I think we did it. All right. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.